Welcome to Pot to Popular, a podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstream in cannabis. Join along as we learn from the greatest minds in this industry and learn about how cannabis is becoming part of popular culture, health, wellness, and industry. Welcome to today's episode of Pots of Popular. I'm your host, Rosie Matteo. Today, we're joined by Ari Mackler, Chief Product Officer of Plus Products. Ari's going to join us today and talk about Plus's innovation pipeline and how they've established themselves as a leading cannabis edibles brand year over year. He's also going to talk to us about the most recent news, which is their acquisition by Glasshouse Brands. Welcome, Ari. Hey, Rosie. How are you? Good. I'm so pleased um, to have you here today. I'm a big Plus product fan, actually. And so is my mother. Like every time I go to California, she's like, can you give me those gummies? But we don't take them across state lines. So, <laughs> but yeah, big, big Plus fan. And, you know, love that we've been working with you guys for a while. But I'd love to talk a little bit about you specifically in your backgrounds. You have an extensive work history across science, health, and wellness. Um, can you give our listeners a brief overview of your background and how you found your way to PLUS and the cannabis industry? Tell us your story. Sure, sure. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I guess I've had a bit of a circuitous route, but at least in my mind's eye, it's been kind of straight, but from the outside in, it, it could look a little weird. So, you know, I grew up uh, as a product of the, of the 80s and uh, I had Nancy Reagan kind of whispering in my ear, just say no, just say no. Uh, and and that was kind of my youth, right? So, but I was always very interested in science. I was always very interested in medicine. And that, honestly, that took me down a path of, it's going to sound a little strange, but uh, obstetrics. I, I wanted to become a an obstetrician when I was a kid. I loved babies. I was the oldest kid in my family. So I always had all these younger, you know, siblings and cousins that I was taking care of. Uh, I ended up, you know, in, during college, uh, working in a laboratory. Um, uh, this is in Baltimore, uh, in a lab that was associated with Hopkins. Uh, and I was working on, of all things, cocaine addiction in the placenta. Hmm. And it just really pulled me into medical science versus clinical science. Uh, and so while I was in college, I made that choice not to go down the path of clinical medicine and go to medical school. I ended up going into grad school. Uh, and wanted to study that kind of interface between mommy and baby. So I moved from Baltimore to Los Angeles, and uh, I attended uh, Loma Linda's Center for Perinatal Biology and completed my PhD. As the good student as I was, uh, my professor said, okay, Ari, uh, now that you've finished your scholarship here on the West Coast, you need to go back to the East Coast and, uh, and kind of have some of that East Coast science philosophy kind of ingrained in you. Uh, so I went to Einstein uh, Medicine up in the Bronx, uh, and again continued my work in in that reproductive physiology um, kind of space. I came to a realization though, while I was in New York that academics wasn't going to be really for me. That I wanted to be able to interact with people. Um, I wanted to be able to take my science and my friend's science and develop it in a way that I thought was really meaningful and impactful. Uh, so I made the leap out of academia and went into industry, but. But for me as a kid at that point in time, industry meant, that meant pharma. So I joined uh, the pharmaceutical industry. And of course, at that point, my, my wheelhouse was reproductive science and reproductive medicine. And I spent the next 10 years in pharma. Uh, ultimately, the companies that I was with, they were acquired and I ended up at Merck. Uh, and I was running field-based medicine for reproductive medicine, for contraception, 
Uh, and along the way, I picked up oncology too. Uh, but Merck was a really big company, as I'm sure you guys know. And I just wasn't having as much fun as I had hoped because it was just so large. Um, and so I, I raised my hand to leave. I pivoted out of pharma uh, and I ended up making a, an interesting kind of transition uh, into food. Uh, and I joined a company called uh, The Wonderful Company. Uh, and I'm sure everyone, they may not know the wonderful company by name, but pistachios? you know the products, pistachios and oh, almonds, and, exactly, pomegranates, Fiji water. Um, so the wonderful company actually is a very large agriculture company. Sorry, they grow all these almonds, they grow all the pistachios, they grow all the pomegranates and all the citrus that we see in the food stores. And they don't just grow it, but they also kind of process it and, and then they do some science on it and they market it and they sell it. And, and they needed someone to help kind of run their science program. So that was kind of an interesting kind of pivot for me because I left the science of pharma and I went to the science of food and really thoroughly enjoyed it uh, and kind of really embraced that farm to fork kind of thought process. But along the way, I picked up a bit of a, a shift in my science philosophy also, right? So instead of trying to fix somebody, right, from a problem that may have occurred through, through very specific kind of molecular triggers, that's like the pharma model kind of sort of, mm -hmm. I then started to think through, well, what about the chemistry of plants and how can we change like perhaps people's behaviors and the trajectory of people's health through proper eating, even not just of the whole foods, but sometimes I would create juices or I would, I would have an extract of some sort uh, and how would that impact health and wellness? So I spent, let's call it roughly another you know, eight or so years at Wonderful working in the different kind of pieces of science across their business. Um, but then I wanted something a little bit different also. And a friend of mine had approached me not that long, you know, well, a few years ago, but kind of into my tenure at uh, Wonderful. Uh, and he said, Ari, have you ever thought about cannabis? And I kind of, as I joked about at the top of the call, right? I know I was this, I was a kid who grew up with, with Nancy Reagan. Um, and I had not really thought about cannabis too much, although I thought about cannabis in a couple of different pieces. So let me restate what I just said and kind of correct myself. You know, I had friends who, of course, they had, you know, um, consumed when I was a kid or as an adult. Um, but more importantly, I was, I was privy to the kind of burgeoning science that was coming through early cannabis research. Uh, and of course, everybody kind of knows about how things affect, um, let's see. So there was the nausea work that kind of came out kind of early on. Uh, and there was also the optometry work where the ability to deal with pressure in the eye. So if you had disease state of the eye, you can kind of relieve pressure and things like, of that sort. Like glaucoma, right? Those one exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I was always aware of it, but I wasn't always. I wasn't in it per se. That wasn't my area of science. But, but coincidentally, coincidentally, several years um, prior, I was asked to serve as a judge, as a Shark Tank judge, uh, at the epilepsy meeting, which was that year was up in San Francisco, and. While being a judge, I became like, my eyes kind of opened to what was to become, right? A really, really meaningful pivot point in cannabis medicine, which was the application of CBD in particular 
to to um, epilepsy, particularly as it was, you know, this is pre-epidiolex being um, kind of approved. And that kind of opened my eyes to this plant, you know, having these multifaceted kind of applications, not just recreational, not just glaucoma, but perhaps something even like super serious, like epilepsy. Um, so when my friend had approached me and said, Hey, Ari, would you like to, would you like to join plus? Um, because we think that there's opportunities for um, science to help define product uh, and to help perhaps define, you know, how our industry starts to move forward. I couldn't say no, right? I, I took that opportunity. I said, you know, this is this is really a unique pivot point in a plant medicine, in recreational space. And personally, right, in, in kind of my my path of thought and philosophy of science that I, I, I thought this was just the right path to take. Now, this is going back three or four years now. That's how I ended up in cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's like such an interesting trajectory, you know, you know, just uh, really having that that deep, uh, the medical knowledge and touching like just so many types of industry with that. But like, so, but how has your previous leadership roles, you know, in these health and wellness companies like Merck and GT informed how plus products are developed and formulated? Have you brought that expertise to the formulations? Yeah, of course. No, thanks. Um, so while at Merck, while at Pharma, right? So it's not just Merck, of course, but my time, my tenure in Pharma and at Merck really forced me to think about a couple different things. It forced me to think very carefully about, of course, there is, there's always the philosophy, the scientific philosophy of molecule in receptor creates effect, right? That's kind of like a fundamental kind of scientific philosophy. So let's, let's, Let's pin that for one second. And then let's also talk about pharma's necessity as a business to be very, very uh, buttoned up with regard to compliance, right? So those are two separate, but kind of related things when you're dealing in the pharma space. And so I really kind of cut my teeth on the, the demands of how business needs to behave in order to um, service their clients, so their patients, but also to do so in a way that's safe for the patient, that's compliant with regulatory authority, and so on and so forth. When I left pharma and I moved into food, so whether you talk about wonderful or yes, you may mention of I serve as a scientific advisor for GT's Living Food, which is the kombucha company. Um, that kind of takes you for, let's go back to the pin one, molecule and receptor. But now you start to expand that kind of definition of multiple kind of molecules happening together. It's cornucopia of chemistry, right? So in cannabis, we, we often refer to this as that entourage effect, right? Where you have this kind of milieu of, of multiple molecules happening simultaneously or affecting you simultaneously. And how are you going to respond to that? That may be through receptor or it may be adjacent to receptor. And we see how that actually is coming to play in, in the newest of cannabis sciences. So time spent in food really helped to expand the way that I was thinking about the application of the consumption of some type of therapeutic intervention. So whether it was the, the juice of a pomegranate or whether it was the elixir from a cannabis plant, not too dissimilar from one another, because we're not always talking about a single molecule. Yes, of course, in cannabis, people most often are thinking about THC or perhaps in the hemp space, we are talking about CBD. But in reality, what we're talking about here is a plant that has a tremendous kind of depth and breadth of chemical applications 
So we have you know the major cannabinoids, we have minor cannabinoids, we have terpenes, so on and so forth. So, so that kind of is the philosophy that kind of helped me. Well, that was my evolution of philosophical thought from a science perspective to some degree. However, I also made mention of the regulatory kind of construct that I was birthed into, so to speak, as I moved from academics into, into pharma. And, and we're just now seeing that kind of really come into play uh, in, in the cannabis space. And that's going to become, I think, increasingly important for us to appreciate that as we move into an area where we want to be able to expand the opportunities for people to safely consume cannabis, again, whether for rec or whether for therapeutic intervention, the ability to speak to it in a way that's smart, that is based on facts and science, that kind of evidence-based approach is going to become increasingly important because we want to be able to give our patients, we want to be able to give our customers the best possible experience, point one. Uh, But point two is we're going to need to self-regulate this for the time being because we knew, know that right governmental regulation is it's kind of coming in already, and we start we've already been seeing that kind of come into play at least here in the California space, where the kind of the health authorities are trying to now crack down on sometimes what is, you know, poorly crafted. Let's call it messaging by certain That's, companies. Right. You know, and I do want to drill down into you know you mentioned the term cannabinoid, and and you guys um, at Plus have been you know, pretty, uh, you know, forward, forward thinking on that. And, and, you know, have launched a lot of innovation to the space, which a lot of kudos to you. So I want to talk a little about some of your products and sure. some of these cannabinoids. So in addition to the THC products, you know, your products, plus um, also has a line of CBD edibles um, that yes. are available nationwide. So I'd love yes. to understand, you know, why it was important for the team to introduce this offering and how do you, and how does CBD use cases differ from THC for some people who are listening who might not understand the differences? Sure. So let's kind of work a little bit backwards. So THC is right. That is this. I don't necessarily like these terms, but let's use it for today. And then, and I'll explain why I don't like it. Right. So THC people refer to as the psychoactive molecule, right? I probably prefer using the term. Maybe it's the intoxicating of the milieu mm-hmm. um, versus psychoactive. And the reason why is that CBD, in my opinion, would all should also be considered psychoactive. Now, what I mean by that is it's not intoxicating. But if for the sake of the conversation, somebody is able to benefit from CBD because they're relieving their epilepsy, again, that may be an extreme utility of it, but perhaps for most of the listeners, they're using it perhaps to calm their nerves or to allow them to sleep a little bit better, so on and so forth, right? That's still, that still has a psychoactive effect. It, you know, It's still affecting the way our brain chemistry is functioning to some degree because it is interacting with the molecules in our brain or in our nervous system. It is working in tangent in coincidence with the endocannabinoid system. All right. So (laughs) now to get back to your question, which is why do we move into that space? Well, we knew that as a business, we reside in California. This is plus is a California brand today, at least. And we believe that we have a form factor, that we have um, the manufacturing kind of know-how and the formulation savvy to provide not just the folks of California, not just the people who want to walk into a dispensary in California, a a good product, but the opportunity to actually help people and to provide people the opportunity to benefit from cannabis outside of the state, which, which clearly meant Okay, you're not talking about THC now, right? Because right, you're not able to move things across state lines, um, at least not today. So 
the immediate ability to kind of lever into that was through CBD. And CBD has a pretty decent science behind it too. Um, and so we wanted to be able to kind of leverage that science and help develop out perhaps some of that science to, to benefit folks. So there's opportunities for people to begin to understand and to explore the pharmacy of cannabis, so to speak, uh, and clearly the ability to do that in a cross-state business way, the compliant way would be through CBD. And that's what we did. Yeah. And, and I, I love the, um, the, the approach just like access to the cannabinoids, right? You know, we can't shift THC, but there is so much research on CBD and, you know, there's a lot of need states in which, you know, the cannabinoids can be super helpful. And, and to that point, you know, last summer, you know, California, you know, which is your biggest market, uh, reportedly generated $65 million in sales from CBN sleep products alone. For those who aren't, you know, familiar CBN is like the sleep cannabinoid, right? And yeah. plus, you guys notably launched like a fast acting dual action sleep gummy in September, which I know have been very well received by consumers so far. So what yep. do you think is driving the increased demand for sleep products? And how do you know certain cannabinoids, you know, like CBN facilitate a good night's sleep? What's the science behind CBN? All right. So you're asking a really tough question, my friend. And what I mean by that is, is that honestly, the science on CBN is super thin. So we have a lot of anecdote about how it's, it is good from people's use points. Um, and, I, and I believe where there's smoke, there's fire, right? No pun intended. I do think there is something to be had because CBN is a bioactive. It is a functional cannabinoid. We went back and, and we knew that people were using, we've known for decades now, right? The earliest research for cannabis in sleep really goes back into the 70s, right? So it goes back a long ways. Now that those perhaps even earlier than that, um, but at least in terms of the formal literature, we start to see it in the early seventies and that was all plant-based stuff. And it wasn't very well controlled as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, we, we don't have a really deep literature in terms of what going back into the seventies, I'm talking about what was actually the trigger, the reasons why people were able to benefit perhaps from sleep for sleep from cannabis. So we start to fast forward over the course of time. And, and now now we're 40, 50 years later into this in, in the year 2022, I think we're at, I forget my days now. And, and the science is, is made leaps and bounds, but we still have a ways to go. So I knew that we wanted to be, I wanted to be able to help people sleep. And I think that's the crux to the question. I think actually that's the underpinning answer to the question that you asked was why is CBN important? CBN is important because people need to sleep. And we're not sleeping very well. Sleep is a major problem in this country. Okay, so before we talk about sleep, though, in terms of CBN, CBN is an interesting cannabinoid because it's really a metabolite. It's a downstream um, kind of component of, of its oxidized THC, right? So it's kind of like old weed, right? So people will say, oh, the best way to fall asleep sometimes is to have an old, you know, old cannabis, an old joint or something. Um, and there's some truth to that. There there is some data, but like I said a, a few minutes ago, it's kind of thin. We're getting new data, and some of the new data is super exciting, actually. I mean, there is, there's a group out of the Salk Institute, which has um, published now a couple papers uh, looking at how CBN is neuroprotective, how it may ultimately turn itself into a means by which to help as a therapy or perhaps preventative uh, for things like Alzheimer's, for, as just a point of example. So the science is moving quickly. The science is growing, which is super exciting. Now, going back to the question of why sleep is super important, you know, sleep is a complicated biology. Uh, and 
you know, it's broken into different kinds of segments and people, you know, in terms of your REM sleep, your non-REM sleep, you know, what's triggering it, what's kind of keeping you at a lighter sleep. Why do people wake up um, in the middle of the night, myself included? Um, and, and the ability to tend to those issues is really, is really important. I mean, we're, we're working in a world of artificial lights. We're working in a COVID kind of um, impacted um, system and ecosystem nowadays. And people aren't sleeping and they need to sleep because the downstream of not sleeping is poor health, uh, poor productivity. People don't feel good about themselves. Um, they do things to compensate for the bad sleep. And that's a problem. So that's why I think CBN and sleep products have really taken off over the last year or so within the cannabis space is because people need to sleep. Yeah. By the way, I, I want a nap right after this. I, <laughs> I, I, I happen I happen to be a big fan of your CBN products. I'm not a great sleeper, you know, running a business, you know, mine's yep. always going and I find it to be, you know, super helpful to me. Um, so I, I'm very grateful for the science, what you guys have put together and, and talking about science, you know, and like the innovation here, we've seen emulsion technology um, to create edible, edibles become increasingly sophisticated in the past three years. So yeah. since 20 plus, like, what do you think is the most important innovation and how has plus apply these processes to maintain its competitive edge? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a critical question for me. So let's start at the top. You, you mentioned uh, the emulsion technologies that's really taking off. So let's talk about why people are using emulsions. The backbone of why a person, a company may choose to use an emulsion is to render that specifically, we're talking about a, a cannabinoid here in today's conversation, to render that cannabinoid more soluble. By rendering it more soluble, meaning it can go into solution, into water or something like that, right? That means it becomes a bit more bioavailable. THC by its nature is not very bioavailable, at least from the ingestion perspective. If you inhale it, you're probably 30%, maybe even more in terms of what's bioavailable through the lungs. Um, when you ingest it, you're probably talking about bioavailability of something like in the upper single digits, maybe, where there's about. Um, and when you can emulsify it, you can turn that bioavailability from, let's call it nine or 10 or 11, and maybe you can double, triple, or quadruple that, that bioavailability. So that means a couple things. That means you can get it into solution. So if you want to formulate a drink, you can now take it and put it into a drink, right? Because otherwise it would just kind of not go into solution, fall right out. or at least in my case with plus, that will allow me to speed up your ability since I'm increasing the bioavailability, you can speed up the ability to, to actually have you know, the onset of an effect. So instead of having to wait, let's call it 30, 40, 50 minutes or whatever the math may be for your particular, your particular biology, your body's biology, you could have an effect in a matter of just minutes. Uh, and so the, and that's particularly important with sleep, right? Yes. You can set up your kind of daily routine where you say, okay, I want to go to sleep at 11 and I can take my, my gummy, my plus gummy at 10 and I'm good to go. But now I'm able to formulate my, my gummy such that, you know, you're going to start to feel an effect in, in like maybe eight, 10, 12 minutes. I'm not saying you're going to fall immediately to sleep in eight or 10, 12 minutes, but you'll begin to have the biology taking effect that quickly. It's a meaningful difference in terms of the speed of onset. So that's really important. I'm spending a lot of time thinking through um, what does time mean? Onset, offset, things of that sort. And in part, we can manage that through emulsion technology and then adjacent types of technologies. Uh, another technological kind of area, and we already alluded to this in our 
you know, a couple minutes back was the, the really the identification, the understanding of the specific chemistries, excuse me, the chemicals in the chemistry that we're talking about. So digging into these minor cannabinoids. So for example, the CBNs or the CBGs or what have you, uh, and to be able to explore those effects um, in kind of product manufacturing and, and production so that people can find benefit of those. Uh, that's, I think, a major uh, kind of space for our industry to continue to evolve into. And then that kind of leads into not just understanding the chemistry, but ultimately we need to advance science on the clinical side as well. I think it's really important for us to have a clear, deep literature that we can all kind of um, fish in to understand how our products, how our future products are going to affect our customers. And ultimately, what's going to be really important for us is to be able to help to define safety um, and comfort so that new, new folks who would like to explore cannabis uh, won't get hung up on the fear of the unknown because hopefully we'll know, right? We'll, we'll know better how it affects different types of people under different circumstances, so on and so forth. So yeah, for our people are still yeah. freaked out by the Maureen Dowd story, right? With like not not quick onset, taking too much and just having that crazy experience. I think a lot of people have that first edible experience in college. I know I did when we used to make pop brownies, you know, in Boston. It, it yeah. was not fun sometimes. So I uh, yeah, That's right. uh, technology gives a lot of trust um for consumers. And it's great to see that, you know, how far along it's come. You know, yeah. but also to that point, you know. Uh, all the technology, all, all of the, you know, the science behind it, but sets, you know, it's a little different about this industry because it is so state by state and you can't cross things. You can't bring things across state lines and we're seeing more regional brands and even like a plus wanting to get, you know, be in other states, but yeah. how did consistency control or an issue? So based on your experience, what are the most common mistakes brands make in this area when they're trying to, you know, expand their markets and what measures have you guys taken uh in your R&D process to ensure consistent consumer experiences. Yeah, no, that's, that's an important point. So in, in, so let me, again, let me try to work backwards. So what have we done here in plus um, we've set up a, honestly, a very sophisticated system. Uh, I like to refer to it as our kind of innovation ecosystem, whereby we develop products through a very rigorous pathway of, of input. What is input? Input is, you know, for example, folks on my team, I have, I have um, food technologists, I have manufacturing folks, I have marketing folks, I have business folks all sitting on my team together simultaneously so that we can approach projects at once through different types of lenses um, simultaneously so we can understand what we're trying to accomplish in a very kind of robust way. That's important because you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and as you're alluding to, you know, safety is a very important part where expectation is in a very important part to product development. And we want to make sure that we develop products that people can expect a certain outcome and get that certain outcome each and every time. Now that leads me to my second point, which is, okay, you mentioned multi-state expansion. So multi-state expansion is clearly a very important thing for the industry. Um, I don't know how quickly it can continue to go until we have full federal regulation or, you know, um, allowance and regulatory approval, uh, because today what it means is having to set up shop in each individual state or something akin to that. And that's very difficult. Uh, it's difficult from an operations perspective and it's different from a compliance perspective because each state runs a bit differently, which means that companies 
um, you know, it would be very difficult for me. I'm not saying I couldn't or I shouldn't do it. I should do it and I would do it, but it's difficult for me to say, oh, I want to set up the exact same shop as I have in California, in New, in New York or in Michigan or in Florida or in Chicago or what have you. So um, that then forces certain folks to say, okay, I'm just going to do a co-man exercise. I'm going to work with other types of manufacturing enterprise so that I can't, or I, I, I don't need to rebuild my full infrastructure because that would be operationally capital-wise perhaps impossible to do. So when you start to have to work with other companies, it becomes more difficult to make sure that compliance and regulatory oversight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is up to snuff. Um, so what's important is people understand is if you're going to do it, you have to be vigilant. You need to do it very carefully. You need to know who you're getting uh, in partnership with, uh, that you can trust them, that you that they will live up to your expectations of the highest quality possible. Absolutely. And, you know, we didn't talk about something. I, I can't believe I haven't brought it up yet. A little bit of departure from this, some exciting news uh, from this year, December, Glasshouse Brands announced plans to acquire Plus uh, for $25 yeah. billion, which is amazing uh, for an edible brand. How does Glasshouse vision and goals align with Plus? And what does your team hope to accomplish through the acquisition? I have to imagine like more resources, bigger company, you can do more. Yeah. So it, it, everything that you just said is correct. Um, what I would say is, is that Graham and Kyle, those are the two kind of partner leads in, in Glasshouse, they are putting together something very exciting. Uh, and what I mean by this is the, the ability to have a true blue, I'll use my old, my old words, farm to fork experience, right? Through, so through vertical integration, right? The goal is to be able to say, oh, I can have a plant that has this chemistry, whatever, you know, pick the strain that you're interested in. And then I can actually take that chemistry and put it into my edible, or I can take that chemistry or put it into my, um, my flower, or I can take that chemistry and I can put it into my pre-roll, what have you. Uh, but to be able to actually not just say, oh, I'm, I'm going to be purchasing a chemistry off the shelf from a partner manufacturer or extractor, but to be able to do that under one roof. Uh, allows wonderful control uh, and should give not just confidence to the consumer, but the ability for us to provide the consumer with a truly unique and special experience. The greenhouses, right? That glass house is assembled are, they're just beautiful. They're in Santa Barbara. They have the most amazing kind of air and the science behind the construction of the glass house to support, to emphasize and to really prioritize that which Mother Nature is already giving the company, that land uh, through it being in Central Coast California is just, wow. It's just, it's gorgeous to see and it's exciting to be a part of. And the ability to take that kind of plant science and convert that into other types of extraction, edibles, yada, yada, yada is going to be a, a real game changer. Yeah. Um, and we're so excited. We love uh, Graham and Kyle, um, just like great people with such a great vision. And just like to wrap up, you know, that's exciting. The acquisition, what excites you most about us cannabis space over the next year? Well, I, I would hope to be able to say that um, we can tear down some of the interstate silos. I would hope to be able to say that we're going to be able to have a wonderful science come through our academic and our kind of uh, industrial laboratories. Uh, those are the things I'm really looking forward to. And clearly those two things are intimately tied to one another. Um, so I am super excited about the ability for my friends and family who are 
in the laboratory to help me build the best products possible uh, for our customers, not just here in California, but across the state. Uh, and that's going to really demand some, some heavy lifting on the side on the part of our, our legislature. And our, and our governmental officials. So I'm hoping for that to happen. I, I'm with you, amen to that. Um, Ari, thank you so much for joining us today. This was super informative. Um, really so excited about you know the innovations coming out of Plus and looking forward to seeing you know what the future holds for the brand. Thanks again. It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I had a lot of fun, thanks.